Welcome to Big Blend Radio with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy, editors of BigBlendMagazine.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Big Blend Radio's Writers and Authors Show. We air this every second Wednesday with our friends over at Books Forward. So if you're a writer, you definitely want to go check them out at booksforward.com. And today we're excited to welcome Matt Cost. Mm. He's an award-winning author of over 10 mysteries and historical novels. And he's joining us today with his brand new book that is out today. So this is super Yay. cool. Uh, it is a, well, this is a mystery and a historical novel. So it's mystery history. Like we like this. Uh, so mm. the book is called Velma Gone Awry, a Brooklyn Eight Balo Mystery. And so that is B-A-L-L-O. So El Balo, oh, he can pronounce it for us. Uh, so again, mm. it's out now through Encircle Publications. And it is set in the Roaring Twenties. Come on, we love that. This flapper era. And it, it follows it a PI on a crazy mm. case to find a flapper daughter of a wealthy businessman. Nancy, you've been reading this. And it's exciting. Yeah, I feel yeah. like I'm watching a movie, which I have to say, I compliment you on that because I feel like I'm actually watching a movie. I can see it. So, that's and that's that, that's pretty rare that you can actually see a movie in your mind when you're reading a book. I think it's exciting. And she won't stop telling me about it either. <laughs> She's ruining it for me, Matt. <laughs> Can't help it. But welcome, welcome. Yeah, so everyone, matt-cost.net is your website, right, for everyone mm. to go to? Yeah. Okay, cool. So how does it feel for the book to be out now, even though we're pre-recording this? <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, thank you for having me, Lisa and Nancy. That's fantastic. Mm. And I'm glad that Nancy is enjoying the book and uh, mm. that it paints a picture like a movie. And mm -hmm. uh, I'm quite excited for the book to be out. It's actually the 12th book I've written. Oh, and, wow. But it is my first historical mystery. So mm. I've written histories and mysteries. I have nine, uh, eight uh, mysteries out, contemporary, and three historical fiction books out. And I decided Ooh. to put them together with this one and make a historical PI mystery. That's cool. And I think to do it um, in the flapper era. So the 20s is so cool. You know, just even the music, it was, it was kind of a creative, it was a creative era, I think. And I think when you put mysteries with it, when it, it gives people a way to learn history without a history lesson, you know? Absolutely. And at one point I was a history teacher. And mm. I always wanted to be that sort of history teacher where you kind of fooled people into learning a little something. So in my case, it was seventh and eighth graders. And if they could walk out thinking they just had a fun day and not realizing that a bunch of things had got shoved into the back of their brains, I, I considered it a success. And I do the same thing with my books. Mm. See, and that's so cool because when I went to school, history was something I love now. But back then, they would do those mimeograph sheets with just a bunch of dates and what happened on the dates. And it just... I don't know. It it wasn't alive. Hey, but those mimeograph sheets smelled good. Well, all righty then. I remember I mean? being, I'll like, go make those. <laughs> all those dates. And then um, when I started really reading historic novels, which I love, I made a chart of the world. And 
I got really into it trying to figure out what I didn't learn in history. How about that? You know, just because it's such a big subject and it's so important. And I've, you know, I was trying to do what was invented in what country at what year and who was sailing the seas and, and trying to put it all together into something that I could grapple with that would make sense to me. So that if you said 1920s, you would kind of have an idea what the 1920s were about. So, the world. yeah, and I found the historic novels to be the answer to that. Right, I agree. Too many history teachers just shove those dates and events at you. And really, yeah. history is not dates and events, but it's stories. Mm -hmm. You know, the flesh on the bones and the people and the soul and the thoughts and yeah. the emotions and, you know, the interaction relationships that they had. And that's what history is. Mm. Exactly. It's, it's gossip. Yes, it is. It's gossip. Do you, do you know where gossip comes from? Lisa, oh, we want to know. Back in Revolutionary War times, I believe it was, uh, the newspaper editors used to send their reporters down to the local bar when you know they were kind of slow on news and oh. they'd say go sip meaning don't get drunk but go sip and listen to what's going on and get the gossip Ooh. of the town and that's why a lot of journalists drink a lot <laughs> that's right <laughs> Well, you think back in the 70s That's and 80s, cool. 60s, you'd always see, mm. you know, these these traveling photojournalists and journalists all like in, you know, some far off country, but they're all huddled up, you know, in the bar going, we've got to get this story out, but they're in the bar. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's yeah, and so are that the old iconic image of that. But that's cool. I didn't know that. Wow. That's very cool. I like yeah. it. We have a magazine called Garden Gossip. Now that's changed the whole thing. That's sipping in your yeah. garden. Hey, that's more fun though. I don't know. Bars are fun too. You all, that's when we travel like pre-COVID, if you want to know what's going on in the town, you go to the local watering hole. That's and, right. and I'm not, you know, not necessarily the fancy ones, the locals where the locals hang out, not the touristy mm -hmm. areas. And you find out all kinds of stuff that, you know, oh, yeah. it's like here, they'll tell you, oh, this town is you know, famous for this, and we all love this person or not. And like, we've been to towns where presidents were born and raised and everybody's like, oh, we have their presidential library. And then you go hang out with the bartenders and the locals and like, yeah, well, that president sucked. You know, <laughs> like that. They were great when they were writing. We got a lot of PR out of it. But then after that, it sucked. You know, I don't know. Mm. I don't want to name names until because somebody will, you know, we'll get emails. But but going to the 20s, Tell us about what drew you to the 20s and tell us a little bit about Velma. And we want to know about your PI guy because he's he's Hungarian and that's a little bit of our like heritage. It. So we're always interested in there's something about there's a mystical, magical thing about Hungarian history and like folklore and stuff in there, too. Um, well, I decided first off, like I said, to put together a historical fiction with a PI mystery, the two loves of what I do. And so at that point, I started to look around for an era. And I didn't look very far when I came across the roaring 20s. And I said, yeah. bang, that's it. You know, that's, that's what I want to write about. You know, speakeasies, prohibition, suffrage, mm -hmm. you know, jazz coming into being, rum runners, gangsters, you know, yes. and, and all of these 
people are going to, you know, fill my book, you know, the Dor Dorothy Parkers and Meyer Lansky's and Bugsy Siegel's and Coleman Hawkins and Zelda mm. and Scott Fitzgerald. And, you know, that it's just a legendary time. So it was yeah. so much, so exciting researching and writing this book. Mm -hmm. um, and moving Not on yet. to Eight Ballot, I guess he'll come before Velma. Um, he is Hungarian. I'm Hungarian. So I said, mm. ah, let's, let's make oh, him hello. Hungarian. <laughs> let's cool. let's give a little shout out to my roots. Cool. Um, and Eight Ballot is the eighth child of a Hungarian immigrant couple living in Brooklyn. And he's got four brothers and three sisters. And his mother is so certain that he is going to be a girl to balance the scales that she has named him Marguerite before he is born. Dad is out to see when he's born. Turns out he has, uh, he's a boy and mm -hmm. she does not have a name ready for him. So on the slip, she just writes down the numeral eight, thinking that she will change that later on when dad comes home, but they never get around to it. So yeah. he is Kate Bellow, um, Hungarian PI detective in Bushwick, Brooklyn, New York. He's the eight ball. He's eight. <laughs> and yeah. his friends like to make jokes about, you know, eight mm. below, you know, he's called mm -hmm. eight below and, you know, he, he's the eight ball and, you know, mm -hmm. the playing of the time is a big person is called a big six. So they call him the big eight. <laughs> I like so, it. So different so, things like that. That's very cool. So this is going to be a new series, right? With him. Yes. Yes. Cool. I actually finished the first draft of the second book. Oh. City, City Gone Askew. And mm. I'm in the editing process of that. And that's tentatively got an April of 24 release date on that one. Oh, awesome. Wow. Very you know, cool. I mean, the era is so cool when you think, um, you know, prohibition and all of that. I mean, it gets into the mafia, it gets into, mm -hmm. even though you're talking about rum runners. I mean, here we are today recording from North Carolina, and this is where NASCAR was started by bootleggers, you know, and moonshiners and all that kind of crazy stuff. And then it, doesn't it go down into Ma Barker and all of those kind of that history? Or are they later? I think they come later. I can't remember. who. Uh, what the, era. Some of them are more 30s in the yeah when mm. uh, the depression hits and they start robbing banks and things like that well i'm but, just saying so <laughs> he's gonna age you know <laughs> just just recently i was visiting my daughter in brooklyn we went up to lower manhattan to a speakeasy called the back room that has been around okay. since the 20s and wow. uh we uh parlayed our way into getting into the secret back room of the back room Ooh. So we got to go through the bookcase into the back room of the back room where Charlie oh. Luciano, Meyer Lansky, and Bugsy Siegel wow. planned Murder Incorporated and, you know, one of the biggest assassination rings at all. And all, all three of those play a part in my book. And so now I've been able to put that in my second book, City Gone Askew, and, uh, you know, really have seen it and felt it and have the sincerity of it. So that's nice. Oh. I love wow. that you get to bring mm. all these, you know, iconic characters into your mm -hmm. book because, I mean, we all think like Babe Ruth, right? That's another one yeah. that, that is in there. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, he, he has a, a more of a cameo. He's a very yeah. bombastic fellow, Babe Ruth, and pretty egotistical mm -hmm. and whatnot and sure of himself and lives large and everything. So I, I give him a cameo to speak a little later in the book that 
I'm sure Nancy will get to at some point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not allowed to finish a book before we do an interview because sometimes I <laughs> say too off. much. <laughs> well, she ruins a lot of books for me. <laughs> She's like, the first night she, she got your book, she sitting there going, oh my God, he's doing this. And this is, I'm like, you, you yeah. don't need, I know we're going to have the interview, but you don't need to tell me, but I do. <laughs> and, yeah. Well, it's exciting. You know, and I, I like, for whatever reason, the mafia is intrigues me, you know, that how powerful they became and how widespread and how many police people were involved basically with protecting the mafia to a certain degree from what I've read. Oh, absolutely. How much it's, it's Charlie Lucky Luciano that pulls the five families together. So mm -hmm. it's not really the mafia yet in 1923 when I'm writing, but the mm -hmm. person I'm writing about is going to be the father of the modern mafia pulling the five families together. Wow. Oh, wow. How do you do the research on this for these different characters? and not go down rabbit holes for 10 years because of their yeah. history. Mm. I mean, think about that. It's, I mean, F. Scott Fitzgerald, uh, Zelda, I mean, that, that is a crazy relationship. Mm -hmm. And, and there's so many layers to these people, even like some of them lived a shorter life than what we live nowadays. But oh, yeah. um, how do you, how, like, where do you draw the, that's enough line of not just writing a book about them as the main character? Um you know the many possible layers to that i guess first i'll start off with what's become one of my go-to search items i will often preload by reading books on some of these different people and you know feeling comfortable with it but i've also come across this site that's newspapers.com mm -hmm. 75 dollars a year you can have a subscription and you can read any newspaper in the united states for all of time so, oh my gosh, oh. that's like ultimate gossip. Wow. Over the past year, I chose the Brooklyn Eagle because I have a character who works for the Brooklyn Eagle. And every day I read the newspaper for 1923. Wow. You know? And then currently I've been doing 1924 because I'm writing the sequel, but I started back at the beginning of that. And, you know, January 1st of 1923, I'd read and you know, by the time I was done the book, I was, you know, to the current date. So I'd read my local newspaper and then I'd read the Brooklyn Eagle from the time period. And, wow. You know, you, you get the articles, you get the news, you get the politics, but probably the best part of it is all the ads because you mm -hmm. can see what people are wearing, what automobiles cost, you know, how, what radios are looking like and what they cost and who, what brands there are. And so you get all of that. Oh. And that's really kind of an exciting piece. I oh, man. That's cool. I that's want that. Very, yeah, I, I know. I know. I'm <laughs> that. That's dangerous. I'll never go to work. Yeah. I'll never go to work with wow. something like that. But hmm. I mean, all these characters are amazing. But tell us about Velma. Yes, yes. I, I missed talking about Velma. Velma is a 25-year-old adult daughter of a very wealthy German businessman. And she's come mm -hmm. up missing. And the father uh, comes to Eight Bellow to hire him to find his daughter, who's 25 years old. She's a flapper. Uh, she's incredibly talented. 
She kind of rubs elbows with Dorothy Parker, which is how we get involved with Dorothy Parker at the Algonquin Round Table um, up in Lower Manhattan. She's crossed paths and knows Coleman Hopkins and um, Smack Henderson very well, jazz legends up in Harlem. And uh, she mm. plays music, she sings, she writes, you know, she knows the Fitzgeralds. So this is how I am able to incorporate all of these people into it because Eight Ballot is following the trail of Velma Hartman as she goes through and weaves her way through these legendary figures in times of New York as he tries to track her down. Now, wow. he's a little leery of finding her because he thinks that perhaps uh, her father wants her found for nefarious purposes and she purposely does not want to be found. Mm -hmm. So he's kind of doing it, you know, but with the idea if he finds her, he's going to find out what's going on before he turns her back over to her father. Oh, wow. Well, especially at the age 25, if she wants to disappear, she can disappear. Yeah. Right. Right. It's so, not a minor, you know, so it's, it's kind it's, of. So absolutely, you know, so, you know, is he finding her so that she can be brought mm -hmm. back into the household and put in her place and treated like many women of the time were, whether they be wives mm -hmm. or daughters of the time? If you don't toe the line, we're going to put you in the insane asylum. Mm -hmm. uh, some of that stuff gets involved. Or in another, oh, now Zelda knows about that. Right. You know. Yeah, because I, especially in that time, because that's when, you know, in the jazz era, I mean, you know, there was there was pot being smoked. Um, there was a lot of liquor being drunk. Mm -hmm. There was a lot going on in jazz Moonshine. at the beginning. I think didn't people kind of look at it like you shouldn't be doing that, especially if, for white folks. That was a that was kind of a weird era where, you know, it, it women, you know, especially from rich white families got involved with it. That was a no, no. Right. And, and and many of them did because they had the time. It's fun. And, and it's fun. And, you know, <laughs> but, you yeah. know, you have this whole clash going on between traditional values. And, you know, a lot of what it is, is post-World War One, And mm -hmm. people have come out of that with a new understanding of life. And it's like, you know, women have become empowered while the men were away. And everybody's decided, hey, life can be short. Let's enjoy. And mm. But it's clashing with much more conservative values, you know, the prohibition like the is passed at that time. And, you know, That's as is many so stupid, you know, <laughs> that but it's the worst of, law. It, kind of, it reminds me of the 60s. Yeah. Like, right. You know, woohoo. Let's just so But that's a cycle. Like, even if you think about right now, post pandemic, even though we're still in the, you know, we still have that that lingering virus. Um, that likes to, you know, change itself and do all its, you know, crazy gymnastics. But it, you think about how people come coming out of this have really understand the, you know, how precious is life. And hey, you know, gonna, you know, get rid of my job. I'm gonna do my own business. I'm all these shifts that are happening. It kind of goes in that cycle because after World War II was like that. Then, like Nancy's saying, after hmm. Vietnam. So it's kind of like if you, it, I think people will resonate with that kind of story into what they're going through today. Yeah, I think absolutely. And history does go in cycles. There's no doubt about that. So, mm -hmm. it, yeah. it just, you know, I'm finding so many parallels in my writing 
between 1920s and 2020s. It's just amazing. That's crazy. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, it's a hundred years ago when you think about it. Mm -hmm. 2020. Oh yeah, duh. <laughs> yeah. Hello. <laughs> I'll get there. So okay. So are you going to make a playlist of music for this? Ooh. Uh, I hadn't really planned it. To tell you the truth, I mean, I I have mm. put some music lyrics into it, and maybe I should make a playlist. That would be fun. My yeah. my writing uh, guideline or style is that every day when I write, which is every day, I write every day. I wow. put my headphones on and I play cool jazz music. So, mm. you know, I, I do it, you know, so there's very few lyrics. It's mostly just music because I don't want the voices distracting. Mm -hmm. a lot. So, mm. but I do listen to jazz music every day when I play, but I, I would have fun, you know, coming up with a playlist of Coleman Hopkins and Ethel Waters mm. is in it. Yeah. You know, oh, man. We, that, at one that... point we've got Velma up on stage uh, dancing with Mae West and hmm. no way now that's, that's cool. so funny I love yeah. that Mae West so, you, I'm glad you got her in there that's cool <laughs> yeah because she was she was iconic she, was, she really was yeah I mean she was a strong yeah. woman too she was a oh, she yeah, was. smart smart she business woman. like um I don't know was she actually a madam like she was a lady of leisure on her own standards yeah does that sound that yeah. sounds that doesn't sound right but now you're you're a detective as well um you know when i first started reading i was like he sounds a little columbo and then i changed my mind and then i thought he was like um joe friday and dragnet so i'm like did you have a character in mind from a TV show or something where you you develop the character of the detective? Um, no, I, I don't think I do. You know, mm. I, I have two other mystery series out there, contemporary mystery series with PIs in them. And when I started the second one, I wanted to distinguish that PI from the first one. And mm -hmm. now that I'm on to the third one, I wanted to make sure that, you know, they're not the same person again. So, mm. you know, I I gave him a style and, you know, what I thought was 1920s. And to tell you the truth, as you know, he's a very large guy, but I guess yeah. if there is a model for him, it would be Sam Spade from the Maltese Falcon. Oh, wow. So, oh, cool. You know, sort oh, of that God. noir. Yeah. You know, low spoken, laid back, just kind of. I haven't watched that since I was a kid. And now I'm going to mm. get, because that, you now can we get have sucked to go into that. It. Talk about a rabbit hole. This is yeah. cool. So what led you? I mean, you've, you, I know you owned a, a mystery uh, bookshop. Now that's cool. That's I think. Cool and by the way, I want to say thank you for um, also being part of bookshop.org. I think what they're doing is so necessary uh, right now. We need to do something for independent bookshops. I, I really you know, feel that strong and that relationships between the authors, the bookshops, the independents is, is important. Um, but I want to talk about all that with you, but what led you to say, okay, I, I'm a, I've done, I've taught history, I've had a bookshop, now I'm mm -hmm. going to go and write every single day, and and that's my life. Um, I I always knew I wanted to write. Mm. As a matter of fact, I had a history professor in college who got me very excited about uh, Latin American studies. And I decided oh. to write a historical novel about Fidel Castro and the Cuban Revolution. 
Mm. Oh, I cool. wrote the first draft of that in 1990, right out of college. Wow. And I, upon completing it, I realized a few things that, you know, I needed to do more research. Uh, I really should visit Cuba to get a more sincere view of it. And uh, I really wasn't a very good writer. <laughs> so uh -oh. he put those things together. <laughs> so, you know, I went back and I worked on the craft and, you know, I owned some businesses. Uh, so in a video store and a fitness club. And then I became a junior high school teacher. And uh, finally, in 2016, I got a chance to visit Cuba. And mm. so I did the 12-day trip following the Revolutionary War Trail of Fidel Castro in the 1950s as they, you know, rebelled and rose up against the existing government and took control of Cuba. And mm. uh, so I followed from tip to tip of the island. My son went along with me, you know, amongst other things. Wow. You know, at one pivotal point, 300 bearded guerrillas under Fidel Castro defeated an army of 10,000 Cuban soldiers. And I'm like, no way. But then I yeah. went to that mountain stronghold where they were <laughs> positioned between how difficult it was to get through and the stifling humidity and heat and the height of it and the e easiness. For, so I, I learned a lot and was mm. able to do that and rewrite it. And so that's kind of when I made the break to coming back to writing. I finally got a publisher that agreed to publish that, which is my publisher now. And they brought it mm. up in 2020. And while I was waiting, I started writing more. So, you know, it history really does come alive when you have the ability to travel to like a battleground or uh, like Gettysburg is. If you go to Gettysburg, I'll, I'll, then I'll never be the it, same after that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. then let you let get me it. interrupt you just for a second, Nancy. Go ahead. I wrote a historical on Joshua Chamberlain whose huh. defining oh. moment came out of Gettysburg. And I visited that researching so much that my son oh. went to Gettysburg College. <laughs> oh my gosh, are you kidding wow. me? Wow. Well, you know, wow. it's, it's really true. When, when huh. um, we lived in South Africa, Nancy went on tour with her artwork for two and a half years and pulled me out of school. I didn't have the right yeah, grades to cool. do it my first year. So I was like, I was a true Rhodes Scholar without, yes. <laughs> without the H. And we went to every single national park historic site. I mean, we went on every main road. There's a lot of dirt roads over there, but every main road, we did everything in, I wasn't, park. I was really into history, but only mm -hmm. through historical novels because mm -hmm. people were alive and it wasn't about timelines and dates. And I mean, obviously it was there, but you got the feel, the atmosphere of what was happening mm -hmm. in school. I sucked mm -hmm. at history, which she was going, I don't get this, you know, mm -hmm. you are like, I could sit and have a conversation about different eras and you, you get it. Well, then we went on the road and, um, mm -hmm. and, and we'd been traveling my whole life, but we went and it was just the age that I was mm -hmm. at. And it was like 13, 14 years old and 15. And we went to some battle sites where I really could understand wow. like what Chaka Zulu did as a Yo. battle and how he did this maneuver yeah. where he just you know circled the British and took them down mm -hmm. like was he was crazy. just incredible with what he did yeah and, and then going to the battle so of the Wanda Rock and I, I as a kid I still get goosebumps from it when, when I went back into school and I passed all my grades and everything was fine except for math I, I didn't do great on math but I turned around and when I graduated high school history was the number one thing my top top mark my top, mm -hmm. top grades was history 
just from travel and and I think it and seeing that history coupled with the books, the oh, novels, I've... and then the teacher. I could understand the teacher better. Mm. And we actually got along better. He was a vice principal who, you know, was mad at me before, but um, we got along better once he realized I was interested. Before all the dates, I just look at him like, you know, yeah, so it really changed. And I think that's the power, like with what you're doing as a, as a writer to get people to kind of feel like, get that feeling. It, it makes all the difference in the world, you know, and going there makes the difference too. Oh, like what you're saying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Understanding like when you think about Shaka Zulu running across the fields barefoot and making all his soldiers run barefoot and understand, mm -hmm. you know, you can, you're going to run through thorns, run over coals. Now he's a Tony Robbins, right? <laughs> yeah. Coals. So to me, it's, it's, I don't know, it comes to life by, by having both, but that saved me through high school. I've, I've always thought that, you know, history, nonfiction is the skeleton. And when you write historical fiction, you flesh out that skeleton and mm -hmm. you add, you know, the organs and the brain and the respiratory and all of that, and you bring it to life. So mm. history is really just the bare bones, but that's not what history is. History is, you know, people that lived before us that mm -hmm. had hopes and dreams and, you know, problems and issues and to, to bring that to life is really, I think, important in history. Mm. I agree. Like, I wanted to write a historic novel about Kenya because I was so enthralled with our life there, with so different than living here. And I got, that's when I started, I got into doing the chart of the world because I realized how little I knew about history as far as when did what happen. And, you know, I was like, oh, the typewriter was invented here. So you can't have that in the book because it wasn't invented yet. And She's also being around Google. Were, <laughs> yeah. So I realized how poor I was in understanding time eras. You know, like I couldn't, if you said, what's, what was the 1800s like? I don't know. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't say how the women were dressed or anything like that i couldn't go there and and make it alive so i started the chart of the world and i had all the countries that i knew and all the dates and i started putting people in inventions in explorers in and all this stuff and i never wrote the book because i was too busy with the chart and and know that this is pre-computers Personal computers. Yeah, this is wrapped around our living room wall. We got newsprint from a, a printer because we have a magazine there. And I rolled it, I taped it all along the living room wall, the dining room wall. There was the chart of the world went in the, the whole house. So, so in effect, it was the wallpaper for the entire interior of the house. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was a big lesson for me, too, you know. But that, when Nancy talks about that, I think. Even when I studied as, as, as a kid and had to, you know, really get good grades to uh, go on the road with her, which was, she's mm -hmm. like, if you don't get all A's, you're not coming. And I'm like, oh, I'm getting A's. I stayed up mm -hmm. and I taught myself. I taught, mm -hmm. I like, I, I examined myself. I took all my textbooks and rewrote oh. them into an actual exam. And so that I would know, but it, that got stuff into my brain better mm -hmm. because of doing that. So as a writer, does that happen to you? Like when you're writing, you're reading the books, you're, you're looking at the mm -hmm. newspapers, but actually having to do stuff. 
when you start writing some of the research in and the characters, doesn't that kind of get under your skin to have this better understanding of what the world was like? Because you're actually doing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it's obvious with the historicals that I'm learning and ingraining that time period. But with the mysteries that I write, mm. I always have some sense of, you know, uh, what I'm working on, whether the underlying theme is genome editing or cults mm. or oh, wow. oh, cool. you know, powerful lobbyists. You know, I'm always learning myself about some topic that fascinates me. And uh, that makes it so much easier to spend that length of time with the book is because you're learning and about something that you find enthralling. And, mm. uh, you know, then the real trick is to take that 1% of that knowledge gleaned and share it oh. with the reader. And it's got to be the 1% that gives the biggest bang for the buck. Uh, mm. so, you know, so you have to really understand it to be able mm. to share it in an informative way in the short amount of space and time you have. Yeah, that's kind of like music. Like when like when I did music it and wrote and I used to perform and the only way I would remember my lyrics was by remembering the story. Yes. And that was the only way to perform it. You couldn't remember the notes or whatever just because you need to read the music and read the notes. You know what yeah. I mean? You had to understand what the song was about to be able to follow through, you know, to give right. that percent. And then you had to cut the babies. That's the hardest part, isn't it? Cutting the children out of, right. you know, it's like, oh, I really love this. But and then here comes the editor. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how much editing do you do before you turn it over to an editor process? Um, you know, I will do two passes uh, myself, but then I have somebody that does editing for me before it goes mm. to the publisher who does three passes with me. Wow. Wow. Um, and then it goes to the publisher and uh, they'll do two more passes. So it'll wow. effectively wow. have seven edits uh, before it sees the light of day. And what happens? Wow. Do you cry when the babies get that? <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes I get a little angry and I've got to walk yeah, yeah, I bet. And then yeah. you know, come back and go, okay, they're right. I <laughs> know, that just or, sucks. It's like, or oh. Sometimes I yeah. stick to my guns and I say, no, you know, this this is important. And, yeah, you know, but because everybody sees something different. Like when I was painting, I used to um, make my living as a wildlife artist, and I would paint a certain way. And then in art class, the teacher would come along, and oh man, what really made me mad? But she would paint on my painting. I was like, no, get it off, no, get out of here, don't don't paint on my painting. You can critique or whatever. But don't you touch my canvas. It was like, I felt violated, you know, because this is this is my heart and soul. And I'm doing this and I know this animal because I used to spend hours observing wildlife. I still do. And I would look at her and her name was Mrs. House. And I, I'm sure she's passed on now. Sorry, Mrs. House. But she used to really really angry me because I'm like uh -oh. you have never ever seen I a lion see in the wild the rest oh. of the day you know you've like only this. seen them in the zoo because there's a big difference between animals in a zoo and how they act and how they look than in the wild when she used to just make me so mad I'm like you have never looked at an animal outside a cage 
Yeah, I mean, but that's that's you know going I mean? back to the research, the real research. Like even during yeah. the private eye, like you know, doing that, it's like you have to understand yeah. how they work in those eras too, and you know, you have to mm. understand ammunition and guns and all of that. Yeah. You have to understand the technical stuff, right, to be able to make it untechnical. Right, you have to understand the technical stuff, but you know, as well, I find myself constantly fact checking myself, you know. How many people had refrigerators in their Brooklyn apartments in 1923? Because we're wow, transferring over from ice boxes to refrigerators. So is this a reality? Are there telephone booths outside? See, you know, that's the chart the of the world. with the operators made? So, you know, it's you, there's a lot of fact checking where you say, okay, you got to make sure that- Lily Tomlin was there going time. one ringy dingy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But that's that's amazing. So I wanted to touch into the the whole books bookstore opening a bookstore, and then what are you thinking of now? How it's all kind of changed? Do you think we're going to get more bookstores? And what what are your thoughts on on the independent bookstore world? Um, you know, I would say that the independent bookstores have weathered COVID very well. It's mm. been tough on them. And if COVID hadn't come along, I think they were making a huge resurgence. And now that I think we're kind of getting it under wraps, I think that resurgence is going to continue with a lot of people going to their local bookstore, shopping at their local bookstore. You know, it's the little things. It's the human contact. And mm. you know, it's, people are starting well, to feel lost without that. So getting back into the bookstore and having a conversation with the owner about what to read, you know, mm. is I think crucial. So I, I I think they'll rise again. I miss video well, stores holding too. A book, <laughs> holding a book, it's so much more like we have Kindle because we're on the road, but it isn't the same as holding a book. It just mm. doesn't. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it just doesn't feel the same. I can't even understand. I can't really explain why but a book I mean because it's another form of art to me because printing is a whole other mm. I mean we're magazine people so it's it is going from print to being digital as we are but there, it's a whole other art thing even just laying mm. out a book you know getting the covers right and then it's an art of the actual shop itself who gets the you know the display and then I think what's nice now is getting the events going on inside the independent stores the book signings the you know the mm -hmm. writers going on tour and actually connecting oh, yeah. with their audience you know mm -hmm. and, and zoom's great I mean it opens the doors to people connecting around the world but you know what I mean it, it's cool right. oh, absolutely mm -hmm. you know, everybody jumped on zoom early but I think by the end of the first year people were ready to get back to you know human contact yeah mm -hmm. but like you said you know it, it does allow you to con you know my uh publisher has a weekly happy hour where all their authors from all over the world would you know if they're available at seven o'clock on a certain night we'll check in and you know just cool. check out books and things and there might be somebody from australia you know california Spain, you know, all over cool. the world. So that's it, very it, cool. It happy hour. That. Oh, happy hour is fun. That that happy I like hour. that. <laughs> no. Okay. So Ooh. so what if you were gonna make a cocktail out of Velma gone awry, what would it Ooh. be? 
out of the book. I mean, yeah, uh, that's an interesting one. That, yeah, that, prohibition is happening, one. but you know, there was, you know, a, a, a fellow likes to drink the old fashioned. Mm, okay. Uh, in the book, uh, Velma is kind of doesn't uh, pick too much. She would do an old fashioned, but she also likes to drink gin, like a bee's knees, which mm. was a popular cocktail at the time. Uh, but oh, you also like the rum drinks and uh, and the, the brown liquor drinks. So, mm. um, you know, I see that starts with jazz. Jazz brought yeah. in that brown liquor and then mm. even blues musicians. It's like our friend ran a, a blues club in Chicago with James Cotton and her biggest bill was getting uh, cognac in, Carvassier cognac in for all the blues musicians. If you didn't have it for mm. them, you're gonna they don't play. They're not gonna play. <laughs> so it's kind of similar with the jazz thing too, you know. Mm. Oh man, who would you choose, actress-wise, to play Velma? Oh geez, I don't know. I you're getting too far ahead of me now. <laughs> um, you know, it'd have to be a young and upcoming actress. I might have to get back to you on that one. I can't. I hadn't put any thought into it. And okay. I can't think of any uh, young, uh, very. Well, it could thin, be somebody. But... It it could be somebody Sassy. from the past. You know, it could be like Mary Pickford. But 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 you yeah you've started reading it, Nancy. So who would you say would be good? Yeah yeah I want to see what actor you know that's of now today. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I would I would probably go back. You know, there's one part of me that wants to say Gloria Swanson. Just because of her presence, like she's a very strong presence, but I don't think her personality exactly goes along. I have to think about it too, but it, that's why I'm asking you because yeah, you yeah, wrote it. Very energetic, very bright, you know. Yes, and Gloria Swanson very, you know. Oh, uh, just kind of powerful, but slight at the same time, you know? Mm -hmm. so, yeah, see, and Gloria Swanson is too stiff. That's, that's usually a path that I follow down, you know, my dream world of my books getting made into movies, so. Yeah, oh, wow. I mean, right I now, but like you have a series, I mean, look at Netflix mm -hmm. and Hulu's and Amazon, I mean, all of those. Yeah, I mean, that would be cool, you know? That'd be really, how do you balance all the different series? um i mean because like you know what i mean how straight you, yeah how do you keep your different your writing i mean are you writing them all at the same time or do you do oh. one and then go to the next um well i'm going to answer the last question first and come back to this because my wife just held up the phone that said margot robbie so oh that's right margot okay robbie. very good <laughs> all right good okay yeah yeah i uh, that's a good one that's a good uh, one yeah so that, that might be a possibility uh, but then I'll come back to the balancing of, you know, I've sort of fallen into a rhythm now where I'm writing three books a year. And uh, oh. at wow. any point I am writing a book, editing a book, and promoting a book. Mm. So, you know, right now I've actually started another new series, uh, <laughs> Not So Merry Adventures of Max Creed. So that's my work in progress that I'm writing. And mm. I've been promoting Velma and I'm editing the follow-up to Velma, which is City Gone Askew. Mm. 
soon I'll be on to another oh. round of uh, edits with my publisher who will be getting back their edits for my August release of Mainly Wicked. And uh, so I, you know, my three series are the Velma series now, a Mainly wow. Mystery series, and Mainly Wicked will be the fifth one in that series. And then my mm. December releases are my Clay Wolf Trap series. And wow. with the publisher now is the fifth book in that series as well, which I have gone through the edits and my editor has. So I'll be waiting for the publisher's edits back on that, which is Pirate Trap. Oh, I like that. Pirates? I like the sound Ooh. of that. I like anything. Pirates. Hey, Nancy just wants to drink rum with, with parrots. With Captain Hook. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I don't have any parrots in Velma, but there, you know, there is a lot of rum. Yes, yeah, are running rum, you know, <laughs> through Brooklyn. <laughs> Sounds good to me. That's awesome. We, when we printed our magazine, we used to print in in Las Vegas, and we used to spend a lot of time waiting for the printers so we would people watch, and. Um, but sometimes I feel like you, if you do enough people watching, there's your characters for almost any kind of novel that you want, because we really saw a lot of interesting people, especially in casinos. Yeah, we'd sit and make up stories about them. You know, we do that all the time. I mean, it's, yeah. do you do that? Do you people watch and just, you know? My, uh, my work in progress, the Not So Merry Adventures of Max Creed, he just showed up in Las Vegas and went into a casino that I created called the Castle Casino. Oh, and he cool. had to pass over the drawbridge with the sharks swimming in the moat below to go into, you know, this casino where, you know, gestures and wenches were the servers and, you know, it was kind of old time England flavor. And uh, so cool. I tried to give a Las Vegas flavor like a lot of those casinos do their spe specific themes. Yeah, yeah, so, that's, that's cool. cool. That's cool. Yeah. I well, like thank it. you for joining us mm. on the show today. Uh, you know, what, this is exciting what you're doing, and I want mm -hmm. everyone to know it's out again. Velma gone awry, a Brooklyn eight bellow uh, story. So go get a mystery. Excuse me. It is out now through Encircle mm. Publications, and you can go to get it on Bookshop.org, Amazon, wherever you get books, or ask your independent bookseller to carry it. And you can go to Matt's website to keep up with all of his writing at Matt dash uh, cost dot net and go it's there and also we want to thank dot net. yeah it is oh net. why did i give you a dash uh my email has a dash in it oh okay that's why <laughs> okay so mattcost.net okay. sorry about that matt doesn't want a <laughs> dash in there okay so no. mattcost.net everyone of course we'll link it on on all the podcast outlets too and we want to thank books forward we love working with them go to booksforward.com and keep up with us at bigblendradio.com again uh, we do this every second wednesday with books forward chat with writers and authors and we learn so much and it's always fascinating yeah, so thank you so much matt thanks matt thank you lisa thank you nancy for having me. Mm -hmm.